Uh, I'm excited tonight to do something a little bit different from the norm. We have been, as a church, going through the book of Hebrews for uh, the last several months, and we're going to keep our book of Hebrews study paused for just one more week, and we're actually going to be in the book of Joshua this week, Joshua chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, we'd invite you to turn to Joshua chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, we have some uh, out there in the lobby. We'd love to give you one, or you can follow along here on screen. What I'll do is I'll read through the passage, I'll pray, and then we'll spend some time unpacking this, uh, this together. And let me just say, by the way, this is a little bit of a, of a different uh, sermon uh, for me. We're going to spend the first half kind of talking about just some Bible exposition and what it means as Christians to set up stones of remembrance. But then we're going to spend the second half just looking at how gracious God has been to us uh, this last year. So let's read, and then we'll pray and spend some time unpacking these verses. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, eat from each tribe a man, and command them saying, take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together, church. Oh, Father God, we thank you for your grace. God, your grace is so multifaceted. Your grace is so immense. We could spend all of eternity, God, we will spend all of eternity praising you for your glorious grace. And God, tonight we simply want to just dip our toes in the water of thanking you and praising you for your goodness and your grace. God, I pray tonight you'd fill our hearts with joy. I pray tonight you'd help me to teach your word uh, both with passion and with truthfulness. And God, would you give all of us teachable hearts that we might respond to your grace uh, as you lead us and as you guide us. We pray all of this in the wonderful name of our Savior Jesus. And everyone said, amen. How many of you use uh, Facebook? I know it's a common question, right? How many of you are using Facebook right now and didn't hear me ask that question? I'm just kidding. On Facebook, one of the most popular features that they've really rolled out this year and really improved on is this thing called Facebook Memories. You guys familiar with Facebook Memories? Basically, it's a button you can click on to see what embarrassing pictures of yourself you posted in years previous. You can look back on this day a year ago, on this day two years ago, on this day five years ago, and you can kind of look back over the experiences and the situations that you've had in your life. And so uh, this has been a very popular feature, and and many people use it, many people share it, and many people post old pictures of themselves or old statuses that they did, because I think we as humans, we love to look back on things that we've experienced in the past. Would you agree? 
You know, it's, it's like when you go to uh, maybe a national park or you go to a, a lookout, a scenic vista, people are all standing there doing what? They're taking pictures. They want to capture this moment because it's not enough to just enjoy the moment. We have to capture the moment to make sure we'll never forget it. Or for myself, I like to go to concerts. I feel like I can't even go to a concert without watching the concert through an ocean of three and a half inch screens of people videotaping the concert. Like I'm here to watch a concert, not here to watch you videotape a concert. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We like to capture these moments so that we can remember them. I actually, one of the reasons why I know I'm getting older is I can remember going for an entire day without taking a picture of anything, much less a dessert, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? Seems like we, we capture all of these moments and we, we try to hold on to them uh, maybe more than any point uh, in, in recent history. Here's the thing. I believe that as human beings, created in the image and likeness of God, one of the things that God has created us for is remembering his grace, is remembering the goodness that he has shown to us. We are actually encouraged in the scriptures. Actually, let me take that a step further. We are commanded in the scriptures to remember the goodness and the grace of God. We're commanded to look back on the ways in which he has met with us. We're commanded to look back on the ways in which he has shown himself to be good and loving and strong and powerful. And let me take it one step further. Here's the big idea of where we're really heading tonight. Uh, it's important for God's people to memorialize his grace. And the one symbol that stands above any other symbol for us as Christians as a memorial of God's grace is the cross of Jesus Christ. There's no greater symbol of God's grace than his cross. But let me back up. Let me set the context for this passage we're looking at today. This, this passage in Joshua 4 takes place during a period of the history of the people of God, the people of Israel, uh, that's a little bit after what we have been looking at in Hebrews. As we have been reading uh, Hebrews, we've been looking at the story of the people of God, but we're kind of fast-forwarding a little bit. Let me give you just a little bit of context. First, we see that God freed his people from slavery in Egypt. God's people had been in slavery in Egypt for over 400 years, and God, in rather dramatic fashion plagues and all of that, set them free. Now they're free from their slave masters. They're free to love their God. They're free to worship their God. And God leads them out into the desert, but they have this barrier in front of them called the Red Sea. The, the army is chasing them and there's an ocean in front of them, a sea in front of them. There's nowhere to go. They're trapped. And God does this dramatic miracle. He parts the Red Sea and the people cross over the Red Sea on dry land. If you had been there, do you think that is something that would stick in your memory? If you had been there and you saw the waters of the sea part and you walked across a massive body of water on dry land, do you think that's something you would remember? I think so. In fact, the crossing of the Red Sea is the defining moment for the people of God in this period of time. God didn't just let them cross the Red Sea. He actually led them right to the edge of the promised land. He's gonna give them this land. It's a land uh, that's described as flowing with milk and honey. It means it's a good land. It's agriculturally rich. It's, it's gonna be a place where God's people can prosper. They get right there to the edge and Moses sends 12 spies in. Hey, go check it out. Go tell us what's going on. Come back, bring us a report. You guys remember what happened? 12 spies go out. Two come back and say, this land is amazing. 
There's, there's rich soil, the fruit grows. I can't believe that God is giving us this amazing land. When do we get started? That was two of 12. The other 10, you know what they came back and said? Ah, oh, it's giants. It's gonna be hard work. People looked angry. The cities have big walls. We probably won't be able to do it. This is gonna be really hard. I'm scared. The people believed the negative report. The people believed the report of the 10 spies. And God said, fine, you don't trust me. You don't believe me. I've not shown myself powerful enough to you. Fine, you're gonna wander the Sinai desert now for 40 years. And this whole generation is gonna wander for 40 years until all of those people who doubted me have died off and your children are going to be the ones who will get to move into this good land. They'll get to move into the land of Canaan. And so they did. They wandered for 40 years. At the end of 40 years, that generation had died off. The younger generation had come of age. And now here they stand once again at the edge of the promised land, ready to go in. And the only thing standing between them and this land that God had promised them is this Jordan River, a significant body of water. And there's hundreds of thousands of people. And you don't just have bridge building supplies or a, you know, a raft with you as you're wandering around the desert for 40 years. How are we gonna get across this river? How are we going to get into the land that God is giving us? Well, let's go back to our passage here. Chapter four, verse one. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan... What's happening here? If you go back a few verses before this, you see that God has done in essence, a repeat miracle. What he did for their forefathers at the Red Sea, parting the Red Sea so they could walk through on dry land, God did again with the Jordan River, and now this new generation gets to walk through the river on dry land. Again, put yourself in their shoes. Do you think that would be something you would remember? Is that something that would be seared into your consciousness? If they had Facebook memories back then, people would be sharing that like mad, right? Can you believe that day when, when God parted the Jordan River and we got to walk across in dry land? And God gives an instruction. The Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, because there's 12 tribes of the nation of Israel, 12 groups of people, and command them saying, take 12 stones from out of here, out of the midst of the Jordan. Okay, the, the, the water's parted, there's dry land. I want you to get 12 dudes and get 12 big rocks out of the riverbed from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you. By the way, the priests, they were the ones that carried the Ark of the Covenant. You know the big box that had the Ten Commandments in it, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? You've seen, you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know what I'm talking about. The priests walked into the river, the waters parted, and they stood there and held the law of God. They held the Ten Commandments through the entire time while the people crossed the river. While they're doing that, Joshua instructs the people to go find 12 stones, carry them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Take 12 big rocks and carry them over to our campground. Sounds like some awful workout that Pastor Travis would want to do, right? Like, do you think the guys are complaining? I got to carry heavy rock duty. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he'd appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take upon you each a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel. This is a really important moment. I want you guys to understand, this is a really significant moment in the history of the people of God. 
God is once again demonstrating for his people, hey, I am powerful. I am loving. I am on your side. God is in rather dramatic fashion demonstrating to his people that he cares for them. This isn't some arbitrary thing. This is for God to show his people that he is in fact leading them. There's one Bible scholar, David Howard. He puts it this way. These events naturally call to mind the Red Sea crossing in Exodus 14 through 15. There too, God miraculously separated the waters that allowed the Israelites to cross on dry ground. There too, the waters stood in a heap. There too, the miracle was for the immediate purpose of crossing a great watery barrier. But it was for the larger purpose of glorifying God and confirming his chosen leader, Moses, in the eyes of the people, just as the later miracle glorified God and confirmed his chosen leader, Joshua. Do you see how God's loving his people? Do you see how God is caring for his people? Do you see how God is showing his grace in multiple ways? The practical way of giving them a path into the promised land, the the more spiritual way of drawing attention and glory to himself to confirm his leader, Joshua. God is showing his grace to his people. And in the middle of it, God gives us command, get these rocks, why, why? Why are we getting these rocks? Verse six, that this may be a sign among you. All right, we're getting these rocks out of the riverbed as a sign. What do signs do? Signs point to something. Signs remind us of something. And I like this. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. I like that God says that this pile of rocks is meant to incite curiosity. That the the little children are going to go walking past. Hey, mommy. Hey, daddy. Why is there a big pile of rocks here in this campground? Oh, well, son... Let me explain to you. Years ago, we were trying to come into the promised land. We didn't have a way in. God did this amazing miracle. Let me tell you about it. How many of you love those moments when, when people ask you about something? Maybe you're, maybe you're wearing like a, a t-shirt that has a, a symbol or a Bible verse on it, or maybe you say something, or maybe some of you have a, a artwork hanging in your home that's meant to incite curiosity. For me, I actually have tattoos, I have lots of tattoos, but I have these tattoos here on my wrist that are in Greek and nobody knows what they say. And I often get people say, oh, what are those tattoos on your wrist? What do those mean? I get to say, oh yes, Christ is Lord. Do you want to talk now or would you like to start running and I'll catch you in a minute, right? It's a great conversation starter. It's meant to incite curiosity. Hey, what does that mean? Oh, I'd love to tell you. Christ is Lord. He saved me. He redeemed me from my sin. He's God. He's shown me his amazing, amazing grace. Here the people were instructed to set up a memorial so that they would remember God's incredible grace of letting them go into the promised land. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that good? In fact, I would go so far as to say that this type of memorial is normal for God's people. It's expected for God's people. It's expected that God's people will remember his grace, will remember his goodness. A couple of very brief examples. In in Deuteronomy, God gives his people the law. 
God gives his people the law. He writes down the 10 commandments on the tablets of stone. And then God instructs the people, I want you to talk about this law. I want you to think about this law. I want you to remember this law. And then God actually goes so far as to say, I want you to bind this law on your hand and it shall be as a frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them, these laws, on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. God says, I want you to tie my law to your forehead. And if any of you are familiar with Jewish custom and Jewish practice to this day, thousands of years later, practicing Jews still do what's called a phylactery. They take a a wooden box and there's a tiny scroll with God's law written on it and they will tie it on their forehead when they go into times of prayer. They've taken this verse quite literally. And and, and writing the law on the doorposts of the house and on the gates, it's kind of like, do any of you have Bible verses on sticky notes on your fridge or your bathroom mirror, Right? You're being biblical. Good job. You're writing the the words of God where you'll see them, where you'll be reminded of his law. So so here God gives instruction, write this stuff down. Write it down so you don't forget it. Tie it around your forehead. Write it on the doorposts of your house. Another example is uh, from 1 Samuel after there was a, a successful battle. The people of Israel, this ragtag army, had gone up against the great and powerful Philistines, and by a, a miracle of God's grace, the Israelites won this battle. God gave them the victory. And so the prophet Samuel took a stone and he set up this big rock and he called its name Ebenezer. I think it's funny that Samuel had a, a rock and he gave it a name. It's like a pet rock or something. He named its name Ebenezer, for he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. The name Ebenezer means the Lord has helped us. For any of you who are familiar with the hymn that we sometimes sing, that we often sing, uh, come thou fount of every blessing. In it, there is a line that comes directly from this verse. Here I raise my Ebenezer. It's a stone that's set up so we can remember that God helps us. One more example, in Esther chapter 9, those of you who are familiar with the story of Esther, the people of God, the people of of Israel were in exile. They were living under a foreign king. They were living in Persia, and there was a plot to wipe them all out, to have them all exterminated, a, a massive genocide. And God, through Esther and through her cousin Mordecai, God was gracious, and all the people were saved. All of the people were spared. This is a day of great celebration and joy. And so Mordecai actually sends out a letter to all of the people. And he says, hey, on the 14th and 15th day of the month of Adar, you're to celebrate this new feast. We're going to have an annual feast. We're going to have an annual party so that we remember God's intervention on our behalf that we weren't wiped out. Again, if you're familiar with Jewish practice, you know that to to this day, The Feast of Purim is still celebrated where uh, the Israelites, the the people of Israel remember that God spared them from genocide, that God spared them from annihilation. It is normal for God's people to set up markers to remind them of his grace. Would you agree? This is good and, and healthy and common and normal. And this is a wide variety of God's grace. God showed his grace by giving his people the law. God showed his grace by helping his people win the battle. God showed his grace by keeping the the people from being uh, exterminated or wiped out. But you know what? As Christians, we have a vantage point. We have a, a unique vantage point. As Christians, we have a fortunate vantage point because we know what the ultimate display of God's love is. As Christians, we know that all of these things are amazing displays of God's grace, but we know what the ultimate display of God's grace is. You know what it is? It's his death. 
It's the cross. If you want to know what God's love looks like, you look at the cross. This is, in fact, what Jesus himself said in John 15. He said, there is no greater love than a man would lay down his life for his friend. Jesus said that this is the greatest display of love to die for someone else. And that is, friends, that's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is this. It starts with bad news. The bad news is you and I are sinners by our nature and by our choice. The Bible says there is no one righteous that everyone has rebelled. We like sheep have gone astray. We have turned to our own way. And because of our sin and our folly and our rebellion, we are separated from God. And what's worse is the Bible also says that the wages of sin is death. If you have sinned, what you deserve, what I deserve because of my sin is death. We deserve judgment. We deserve wrath. We deserve punishment. But the good news is, friends, that God was not content to let that be the end of the story. God the Father sent the Son, Jesus, to live a perfect life, to die in our place, to lay down his life so that you and I would not have to face the punishment for our sins. Is that good news to anybody this evening? That is what the gospel says, that that Jesus laid down his life for us, that he showed God's love for us by dying in our place. The apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians says that this is the, the most important thing. This is of first importance. The apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, he's talking about, I want to remind you about this gospel. And he says, I delivered to you of what was of first importance. That means of the highest priority of all of the things I could talk about God's grace, of all the things I could remind you of, the thing that is the most important is this, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried. Oh yeah, and that he raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. I don't know if you knew this church, Jesus is not dead anymore, but he's alive forever. The tomb is empty and we have much to be thankful for. God's love was displayed in the death of Jesus, the the cross of Jesus. And the resurrection stands for all of eternity as an indelible stamp that says, you can believe what Jesus said because the tomb is empty. He backed it up. He rose from the dead. So that means if if God's love is ultimately displayed on the cross, then that means the ultimate symbol for a Christian is the cross of Jesus. The ultimate symbol for a Christian, if you're to follow Jesus, is the cross. Matthew 16, Jesus says, uh, if you're to be my disciple, if you're to follow me, you're going to take up your cross and follow me. Isn't it interesting that Jesus said those words? That's, That's Matthew 16. That's before he was crucified. Jesus said those words before he himself went to a cross. Jesus was telling his disciples that to be associated with Jesus is to be associated with the cross. And lest we forget, the cross is not a happy symbol. The cross is not a a joyful, uh, warm, fuzzy feeling. In this time period, the cross was a symbol of torment and shame. You and I have several hundred, several thousand years of cultural history where the cross is something, you know, we, we hang a cross up on our buildings and, you know, you can, you can wear gold jewelry with a cross. I don't wear gold crosses because I'm not Italian, but you know, you know, people wear gold jewelry and gold crosses, right? This is something that's turned into kind of a, oh, warm, fuzzy feeling. It's happy. It's nice. No, 
If you lived in this time, if you lived in this era, the cross was a symbol of utter shame. As twisted as it sounds, the Romans had perfected how to kill people. They were quite good at it. The cross was put in place to prolong your suffering as you died. If you want to kill somebody quickly, just cut their head off. It's over with. No, the cross was, you're going to suffer. You're going to hang publicly in ridicule and in shame while you slowly die. And while the other people sit around and look, by the way, they're going to be terrorized and traumatized so that they won't try whatever it is that you've tried. The Romans knew that a cross was a symbol of great shame. In fact, the Jewish people also knew that a cross was a symbol of great shame. There's a verse in Deuteronomy that says, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. And the, the, the Jewish people actually applied that verse uh, to the cross. When people were crucified, they would say, oh, they're cursed by God. They are cursed by God. They are damned. There is no grace or love or mercy for them. All of the people knew that the cross was a symbol of great shame. And yet Jesus said, if you are to be my follower, you're to be associated with this type of death. You're going to die to yourself. You're going to die to your sin. You're going to die to the world and you're going to be raised in the new life that I give you. The apostle Paul in Galatians 6, he talks about this. He says, far be it from me to boast. He's like, I don't want to boast. I don't want to brag about anything. Do you think Paul had some things he could brag about? I think so trained in the best schools, uh, uh, saved and converted by, oh, you know, Jesus Christ himself. Paul didn't get saved while listening to somebody else preach. Jesus just showed up and, and saved him. And then Paul went around the world planting churches and raising up pastors and writing, you know, books of the Bible. He says, I, far be it from me to boast. I'm not gonna boast about anything except this, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul knew that the Christian symbol was the cross. John Stott, an early 20th century pastor from England, he, he talks about the way that the cross became a, uh, the emblem of Christianity. He says this, a universally acceptable Christian emblem would obviously need to speak of Jesus Christ, but there was a wide range of possibilities. But the chosen symbol came to be a simple cross, Early Christians wished to commemorate as central to their understanding of Jesus, neither his birth nor his youth, neither his teaching nor his service, neither his resurrection nor his reign, nor his gift of the spirit, but his death, his crucifixion. John Stott saying all these other things are, are great. Lots of things we could have uh, picked, the early Christians could have picked to remember what the point is of the Christian faith. John Stott saying the early Christians, including people like the apostle Paul knew it was the cross. It's always about the cross. And one other early 20th century preacher, P.T. Forsyth says this, Christ is to us just what his cross is. All that Christ was in heaven or on earth was put into what he did there. Christ, I repeat, is to us just what his cross is. You do not understand Christ till you understand his cross. Friends, I hope I'm making myself clear today. The most important thing we could ever look at if we want to memorialize the grace of God is the cross. Do you want to know if God loves you? You look at the cross. Do you want to know if God forgives you? You look at the cross. Do you want to know if you are accepted by God? You look at the cross. 
Sometimes I talk to people and I say, how do you know that God loves you? And sometimes they might say something, well, I have a, a feeling. I get a warm feeling in my heart that God loves me. Look, I am not opposed to feelings. Feelings are great. I have them sometimes. It's good to know, to have a feeling that God loves you. But like the, the great theologians Boston said, we need more than a feeling, right? Because feelings come and go. Feelings can be manipulated. Feelings can be misled. There are days when you may not feel like God loves you, but if you are Christian, the cross stands and you can look at it and you can say, I know that my God loves me because Jesus died in my place for my sins. It's the cross, church. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. Now listen, the cross is the ultimate display, the ultimate memorial for us to remember God's love and God's grace. But we as Christians can also set up other displays to point us to other ways that God has shown his grace to us. Would you agree? That's what we, we saw these examples from the Old Testament. I want you to make sure that you understand the cross is at the top of the list. It's of first importance, but then we can go down the list from there. And tonight, as we celebrate our one-year birthday as a church, I thought it would be valuable and important for us to look at some memorials of God's grace on us as a local church. Can you guys believe that it has been one year already. I can't, I was driving this morning with, with my two older daughters and I said, what, can you believe it's been a year already? And my nine-year-old goes, yeah, it seems like the older I get, the faster a year goes by. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> oh, that just kind of hurts, especially for some of you who are even older than nine. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome, Bill, I love you. One year together as a church. I want to I show you a, a couple of photographs. We launched out last year, this first photo, uh, with, with not a lot of bells and whistles. One year ago, I, I guess technically tomorrow, January 4th, we had our first service together at Sound City Bible Church. And here's what's funny about this. This is the only photograph that I could find of our first service. This is, in case you were wondering, this is what you would call a terrible photograph. This is one of the backs of some people's heads and everything's blurry. I think we were all just so tired and we were so exhausted after such a difficult year of 2014 that we all just forgot to take pictures. And, and honestly, it wasn't really that impressive anyways. We said not a lot of bells, not a lot of whistles. We simply want to get back to the basics of uh, preaching the Bible and just having relationship with one another. In fact, there were so few bells and whistles. Next photo, please. Uh, this is another photo. This was taken by my wife of just some posters hanging up. And it, like we couldn't afford color ink apparently a year ago. Uh, those look like posters that would be hanging up in a prison or something. Just black and white photos. Welcome to Sound City Bible Church. We're here, doggone it, right? It was, it was, a, it was a, a little bit of a of an interesting time coming out of such a year of great difficulty as Mars Hill Shoreline. I, uh, I will admit to you, personally, when I stood up on that first Sunday to preach, there was a great deal of just fear in my own heart. Uh, I, I remember that verse that said, uh, unless the Lord builds the house, the workers labor in vain. I thought, Lord Jesus, you better show up and build this house because I certainly don't have a lot of great ideas. Pastor Joe, Pastor Travis, Pastor Shane, we don't have all these great ideas. We need the Lord Jesus to build this house. Church, by his grace, he's been faithful to us. Would you agree? We, uh, we said we wanted to just get, uh, just get right into the Bible and, and get back to just 
preaching the word of God. And so uh, next slide, if you would, the, these are some snapshots of the different preaching series we've done over the last year here. We launched out with the gospel of Mark. We did a survey series on the gospel of Mark. And I, I just want to let you guys in on a little secret. I have a number of friends who are planting churches currently, and almost all of them have launched their churches by preaching through the gospel of Mark. You want to know why? It's the easiest one. <laughs> it is the easiest book of the Bible to preach. It's like, how do we get to Jesus this week? Oh, there he is, right there. So we started out in the Gospel of Mark. We did that through about Easter. And then after Easter, we went into a series called Welcome to Sound City, which was kind of our foundational doctrines and our foundational values. We did that for about eight weeks. That preaching series, uh, incidentally, serves for us as the membership series. If you're interested in becoming a covenant member of Sound City Bible Church, one of the first places you could start would be by listening through those eight teachings so you really understand the doctrines and the values of the church. And then we did, uh, th get this, two books of the Bible in two weeks, second and third John. It was amazing. Uh, Pastor Shane did second John, I did third John, and we were just flying through books of the Bible at breakneck speed. And we did a, a summer series in which we had some guest preachers come. We had Justin Schaefer down in Atlanta who is planning a church there, one of the church plants that we are supporting financially. He came and preached. We had this guy, um, uh, Brian Gray, my dad. He uh, flew down from the land of Alaska to come and preach for us. And then we had Pastor Wayne Taylor just right around the corner at Calvary came and preached for us one week as well. And that was such a joy to have other uh, men of God come in and, and teach us his word and to share uh, with us what God is doing. And then we spent six weeks uh, on the Lord's Prayer, teach us to pray, because we believe that not only do we want to be people of the book, but we want to be people of prayer. Amen. And then we started our 17-year study of the book of Hebrews, and we find ourselves still going. I'm just kidding. It's not 17 years, but we will spend the majority of the rest of this year still going through the book of Hebrews. We'll pick it back up uh, next week. And so God's been gracious to us because he's, he's given us his word. God's given us his word. And I'll just say, uh, for us as an elder team and for me personally, kind of our first time, my first time being the, the preaching pastor at a church and our first time as an elder team wrestling through, God, what would you want us to, to teach the people? Uh, God's been very gracious to us. You know why? Because not only do your elders love you, but your savior loves you. And you as the people of God, we all need, myself as one of the people of God, we all need teaching from his word. You do not need man's opinions. You do not need a bunch of helpful, practical advice. You need the word of God. And so I'm thankful to be a part of, of a church that preaches the word of God. Speaking of elder team, uh, one of the other evidences of God's grace is just the way he gave us good leaders. So early in the year, we put together an interim board of directors. And so you can see there's Dale and Doug, and then on the other side of me is Bill. And on the far side of Pastor Joe is Sienna. These guys and gals were the only ones crazy enough to say, yes, let us serve on the founding board of directors for this brand new fledgling church plant alongside of a team of elders that, that seem like they might not know entirely what they're doing. This team of guys and gals came alongside us and served incredibly faithfully. And I am so thankful for them. And one of the things that this interim board helped do was to install a full team of elders, uh, myself, Pastor Travis, Pastor Joe, and then next slide, please, uh, Pastor Shane. Pastor Shane, uh, this is a picture of us praying over him and commissioning him as an elder, as a pastor in this church. And, and let me just say briefly, I love the men who I get to serve uh, on this elder team with. Uh, I am so thankful for Pastor Joe. Pastor Joe is one of my uh, best friends. Uh, we have become so super close. Our families are super close. Uh, I get to work really closely with Pastor Travis day in and day out. Our offices are right next to each other, and we, we kind of wrestle through a lot of day-to-day uh, -day stuff. And, and I'll just say this. Uh, 
God provided Pastor Shane to me personally at the exact right time. Pastor Shane had not been a part of Mars Hill for very long. He had actually just moved up from Texas. And as I say, he had some fresh legs. And so he was able to kind of come in with a little clearer head. And he said to me, and he said to me in December of 2014, he goes, Aaron, I think you're gonna be surprised how quickly God turns this thing around and how much uh, joy there's gonna be in store for his people. And so credit where credit's due, Shane was right. And I'm super thankful uh, for the wisdom and the perspective that he brought. So I, I love this elder team. I'm so thankful for them. And one of the things I'm hopeful for and excited about this next year is to actually be able to raise up and, and commission a few new elders. We have a couple of men who are currently being trained and being assessed. And by God's grace, we could have a, a six pack of elders here before too long. And so just be praying for those men. I'll admit to you, I'm a little nervous that they might mess up the mojo we got going on with us, but uh, I think these are good quality men who are gonna uh, just serve uh, faithfully as pastors, as elders of this church as well. So be praying for them as well. The elder team also put together a couple of other leadership teams. The first one is the financial accountability team led by the intrepid uh, you know, politician, engineer, church treasurer, and yes, comedian, Dale Kamink. Dale has been such a faithful servant to this church and he leads this financial accountability team alongside of the elders to just help us keep an eye on the finances of the church. And Dale sent me an email. He actually sent the whole pastoral team an email late last night. It's not like I had to go to bed early to get up to preach today or anything, but he sent me a late email and he says this, and I want to share it with you because I think you'll find it encouraging. 2015 has been my best year ever. Thank you for being part of it. In my nearly 60 years of going to church, I have never been more thankful to be a part of the body of Christ. The cooperation, this is to us as the elder team, the cooperation, grace, humility, skill, diversity, energy, and love that I have seen between you pastors is an inspiration to me. Keep up the good work and continue pointing to Jesus by what you do and say. And so for Dale and for Matt and Nicole and Alejandro and uh, who am I forgetting, Brandon, uh, the guys and gals that serve on that financial accountability team, uh, we are so incredibly thankful and we're so incredibly blessed as a church. One other team that was uh, put in place was our church health team. This is a new team made up of members who are gonna come alongside the elders to help us uh, think through issues of, of just church health, how are we doing in, in various areas. And so whenever you see any of these guys or gals who are, are serving on these teams, other than the three elders who are on staff, of the church, they're all volunteers. They're serving and giving of their time. Uh, as the saying goes, they're good for nothing. Uh, so when you see them, give them a hug, thank them, and, and pray for them. This next photo here is of our founding covenant member banquet. We had a, a banquet, a dinner in June to celebrate the founding members of the church. And by God's grace, we had 175 people sign up on the dotted line saying, yes, I wanna be a committed part of Sound City Bible Church. And I tell you what, that is an amazing testimony of God's grace, amen? And God is so good. Actually, we're really honored. Our, our, uh, our oldest uh, member, I don't want to embarrass her, but Selma is here this evening. She is our oldest founding covenant member. We've got all the way from you know, late teens to later teens in Selma here. So thankful for a wide-ranging, uh, diverse group of believers, old, young, in between, young at heart, but getting older and in denial, all of those things. God has brought together an amazing group of covenant Members, And one of the things I'm also praying for this next year is that, that those of you who are not yet covenant members, that God would stir in your hearts to, to commit, to be a part, to say, this is my home church and I wanna invest and I wanna make myself accountable and I wanna really be here and belong because uh, God has called us to be a family. I believe that firmly. 
Speaking of the financial accountability team, let me give you just a brief update, just God's grace on our church's finances. I know for some of you, that's like the most boring thing I could have possibly said, but for others of you, you got really excited. So let me, let me limit this to three really important bullet points. The first one is this. This year, we said that we wanted to live off of 80% that, that came in. We wanted to save 10% and we wanted to give away another 10% to other churches and ministries. By the way, that might be a helpful budget tip for you personally, uh, just free of charge. That's not even in the sermon notes. We said that's what we want to do as a church. By God's grace, we said, well, I don't know how much money is going to come in. How much are the people going to donate? Listen, at the end of this calendar year, I'm happy to report that the donations were one and a half times what we anticipated uh, coming in. And that says to me two things. Number one, that says that you all have been very generous and that says to me that Pastor Travis and I were a little bit pessimistic when we estimated things earlier this year because God has been so incredibly generous. And so what that enabled us to do, that enabled us to do things like add some extra staff. We added two part-time staff, Samantha serving back in kids and Carla helping out in the office during the week. Thank you ladies so much for the service that you do. We added uh, a guy named Kyle Hackett on full-time staff to oversee our student ministry and our Sunday operations. We have been so blessed to have some extra help uh, in the office and during the work week. We were able to use our finances to practice some hospitality with those of you who serve. If you served on a volunteer team at some point this year, we hope that you got maybe a thank you gift or, or a lunch on the church because we're so incredibly thankful for how many hours and how much time that you men and women put into serving the church. We were able to uh, care for the needy. We had one family in the church that had major health issues. We were able to cover some bills for them so that they didn't get behind on their rent. We had another family that was facing homelessness just a few weeks ago and we were able to provide for some of their needs so they could have a place to live on Christmas. That is Jesus' generosity working through you, guys and gals. Do you understand that? That is, that is an amazing testimony of God's grace. Here's another amazing testimony of God's grace. We were able to give away almost $74,000 to other church plants and ministries over the course of this year. Isn't that awesome? That we said that God has called us to be generous with the resources that he's given to us and we want to support other churches. We are uh, currently helping to plant a church in uh, Atlanta, as I mentioned. We're uh, recently helping provide funding to a church plant in Orange County, and we're planting, uh, helping to plant a church in Spokane, Washington. Uh, you may have heard of it. Spokane, Washington, over on the east side of the state. My friend Miles uh, is the, the lead pastor there. He actually sent me a text the other day because I got to call him and say, hey, end of the year's coming. You know, How are you doing? Just want to check in on you. And he goes, yeah, we're doing really well. Church is great. I will admit finances are really tight. We're a brand new church plant. Not sure you know, where the money's going to come from. I said, well, hey, I get to play Santa Claus this week and give you a gift. Uh, we're sending a check your way. And he was so thankful and so appreciative. He sent me a text. He said, hey, we received Sound City's gift in the mail yesterday. Thank you so much for the love and support. This past Sunday, just one week ago, I was able to share that with our people. There were shouts and applause. Thanks again and happy new year. And I'll say this, Part of the legacy of what was Mars Hill Shoreline was that God used Shoreline to help support a lot of the other Mars Hill churches when we were one kind of interconnected group of churches. I hope and pray by God's grace that that same type of generosity and support continues for years to come in Sound City Bible Church. Would you agree with me on that church? That we could be a supporting church, that we could be a, a sending church and one that uses the financial resources God's blessed us with to help others.
By the way, that, that number there does not include the 80 gift cards that you all provided for families in need uh, at the Vision House. And when I dropped those, I got to be Santa Claus last week. It was so fun. I got to go over to the Vision House and drop off these 80 gift cards. And the woman who's working there just said to me, that's unreal. And so thank you again for your generosity. Not all the gift cards were marked. We don't know exactly how much the value was, but it's somewhere in the neighborhood of four to $5,000 worth of gift cards that you guys provided to help care for families in need who are living homelessness and transitional living uh, to help them get back up on their feet. So thank you. That is, again, Jesus' grace working through the people of this church. And one more number I'll share with you. This is very exciting, especially for those of you who are fiscally very conservative. We were able to put aside almost $600,000 into our savings account this year for an emergency fund slash building because, by the way, in case you didn't know, we have to move this year. And so, we, uh, but we, that is, by the way, that is more than 10%. That is way more than we were planning on saving. You have been generous again. God has been gracious. And it's particularly, um, man, it's particularly exciting for me because, Last year at the end of the year, December, sorry, end of 2014, we had one gift for $5,000 put in to just help pay some of the initial expenses of the church. So in the course of one year, it went from $5,000 to $600,000 in the savings account as a buffer, as money that we can spend when we have to move on a new place. I'm just floored by the way that God has multiplied that. Isn't that amazing? That is God's grace, church. That is God's goodness to us. Let me highlight just a couple of other. I'm, I'm so excited. I, I literally could go all night. You guys just want to go all night? I want just a few more. Community groups. I'm so thankful for the way that God is revitalizing and bringing health and depth and joy to our community groups. I, uh, I'm not very directly involved in our community groups, but I get leaders coming up to me all the time saying, hey, thank you so much for, for you and the elder team. Our, our group is thriving. We've recently replanted. We're growing in health. We're growing in uh, the ability to just open up and share deeply with one another. We're growing in just joy and enjoying spending time together. I'm so encouraged by the report. I'm also really encouraged. We got to plant four new community groups this fall. Isn't that amazing? That is a testimony of God's grace. Pastor Travis led a, a class this fall to, to train up new leaders, and we were able to launch four new groups. And that's particularly encouraging to me because I think ever since the time that I took over as the lead pastor from Steve Tompkins, I think all we ever did was shut community groups down. So uh, praise Jesus, we got to launch some new ones. I'll tell you this much, it's still not enough. There are more community groups needed to provide a home for all of the people that want to be in relationship with other Christians because at the end of the day, the church is not an organization. The church is not a name. The church is not a document that you file with the state of Washington. The church is the people of God in relationship with him in relationship with one another. And so we, we're looking for more new community groups to launch and there's a class coming up. I'll just highlight this for you. A class coming up uh, at the end of, of this month. For those of you who might want to get trained to be leaders, some of you might want to be trained how to be a host. Let me just say this. Some of you may not want to be trained to be a leader, but you want to participate and really contribute in a meaningful way to the community group. How many of you know it does not just take one leader to run a community group? It takes, uh, get this, a community of people working together. And I actually have a testimony from one community group leader who, who, who just highlighted how valuable it was to have other people really come alongside to help. He says this, last summer... My wife and I were really struggling with how to lead our then-growing community group as there was just a lot on our shoulders with the different maturity levels and things happening in the group. We started praying about it. Look at that. They prayed. Praise Jesus. 
And people began stepping up without us even asking them. We had one single guy and one family come to us and say that they wanted to be the core of the group and help us replant in a new and healthy way that was and is a huge blessing for us. Some of you may not be called to lead a community group, but you have no idea just how valuable it is for you to go to the leader and say, I am a part, I'm here, I've got your back. How can I help? How can I serve? And how can I help shoulder some of the responsibility? And by God's grace, I hope and pray that we see a lot more fruit in our community groups uh, in the year 2016. Children's ministry. You guys thankful for children's ministry? Yeah, I, I love the children's ministry. I personally, with my kids, have provided probably half of the children's ministry uh, subjects. But uh, here's the deal. We, we relaunched the children's ministry uh, about a year ago through some really uh, wonderful planning and preparation from some really loving and committed volunteers. And a few weeks ago, we actually had a thank you party. This is the children's ministry volunteers and the student ministry volunteers. We had this thank you party and uh, a couple of people just stood up and, and shared testimonies of God's grace. They said things like, we're so thankful for the consistency in the planning and preparation, feeling like they can show up to serve and they know what's going to happen. They talked about specifically, Samantha and Michael, just your joy in serving and in leading the team, that you're enthusiastic and that's contagious. They talked about, one gal said that uh, she's served in children's ministry in lots of different churches. And she said she always had the, the Saturday night dread of I have an hour to serve survive tomorrow taking care of these kids. And she said that now she is excited on Saturday night to get up and serve in the children's ministry because there's such a joy and an enthusiastic team back there. So can we just say a huge thank you to all those who are loving and serving our, our kiddos that way? Here's the deal, because it's not babysitting, it's discipleship. It's not killing time, it's implanting uh, seeds of gospel truth into young hearts and young minds. Oh, by the way, I was, I was asked to specifically highlight the children's music. Can I see this picture of uh, these guys leading the music? Yeah, there's, there's Tom and Robin uh, leading the music because the volunteers said, yeah, you know, CDs are great, but after we've heard those same four songs a million times, it gets a little bit old. We've had some wonderful guys and gals, uh, you know, Robin, the, the human Muppet there, leading the children in singing and praise to Jesus, which is such uh, an incredible joy. And when the kids, uh, by the way, this is just a, a, a mention, you know, there's always opportunities to serve because again, we want to uh, raise up disciples to know Jesus, not just provide babysitting on a Sunday morning, amen? And when they get older, they join our student ministry. I'm so thankful for the student ministry that relaunched under uh, Kyle and Brittany Hackett. One thing that at that same leadership thank you party, the leaders were saying there's been a really open and transparent culture that's developed in the student ministry where the leaders have just led by being transparent about their own sins and their own ways that Jesus is sharing his grace with them and that the students have actually followed their lead. They had a Christmas party recently where a lot of the students wrote just prayer needs and things that they were maybe wrestling with. And, and some of them were just uh, really open, really honest. And, and it was just an amazing opportunity to love and serve and pray for the students. And one thing I'm also really excited about is that the student ministry has been uh, they've raised up a band of musicians made up entirely of high school and middle school students. And so they're leading their own singing, their own music on Wednesday nights. And I'm hoping sometime in the year 2016 to have those students lead us in song. Wouldn't that be fun? So we'll be praying for that. Speaking of worship and production, we are so blessed as a church to have musicians who serve faithfully, musicians who serve joyfully, and, and dare I say it, musicians who serve skillfully, 
Good music at church. Praise Jesus for that. I'm so thankful for these guys and gals who serve us by, by leading and, and by, by coming early in the mornings. You guys know that we ask our musicians to come at seven o'clock in the morning. That is really hard to get musicians to go anywhere at seven o'clock in the morning. The musicians I used to, to know were still up at seven o'clock in the morning and were looking to then go to bed. So our musicians are giving a, a great sacrifice to be here. They put in a full day, all three services. And so when you see the musicians, give them a hug and give them some thanks as well. And let me just say the production team also that comes and serves, the guys and gals that run our, our sound and our lighting and the slides so that you guys can see and hear uh, this message and this, the, the, the music that's being played. And here's the thing, when you serve in the production booth, it's kind of a thankless job because you only really notice when something goes wrong. Oh, like, oh, like, oh, like, oh, like, oh, like if my mic goes Wow. That was different. <laughs> Have you, you've been just like waiting this whole time for that, right? <laughs> well done, Eric. I'm very proud of you. We had a thank you party for the musicians and the production team in late October, and they were also just sharing testimonies of how encouraged they were and how much joy they have in serving. And so thank those guys and guys. There's so many teams of, of committed volunteers, so many ways in which we've seen the church grow and become healthy. The, the security team that keeps our kids safe, they're actually, uh, they just recruited a bunch of new volunteers. And so their team is close to getting full. And the people who come early to help make coffee and the, the wonderful volunteers who came and set up the cupcakes and all the balloons so we could have a, uh, a birthday party feel. I mean, you guys, there are so many ways in which the people of this church have served and have been a blessing. We have much to celebrate. I give you two other numbers to celebrate. The first one is this. We got to pray for and dedicate 19 babies. Pray for them and dedicate them to the Lord this year. Isn't that amazing? Uh, and that is with a bunch of them actually missing people, families who couldn't make it on the Sundays when we were doing baby dedications. We said that be fruitful and multiply verses, ours. We uh, named it and claimed it. Lots of babies uh, being born in the church and, and also speaking of new life. This one gives me great joy. We got to celebrate as 14 of our brothers and sisters professed faith in Jesus uh, and publicly professed it through baptism this year. What a joy. Isn't that amazing? 14 people getting baptized in obedience to Jesus in ways that we can just celebrate uh, new life. Young, old, in between, uh, so amazing to see not only new birth, but new birth in the spirit, new birth in Jesus. Let me do this. Let me close by just looking ahead briefly. Here's the thing. When we memorialize, it's a very good thing. The people of God are to do it. We're to remember. But one of the ditches we can fall into is when we look back, we can kind of get stuck in the, the good old days, right? We can only look back. And we were praying this morning and Kyle said, Lord Jesus, we're so thankful for the work that you've done this last year, but we know you have more for us. We know that you're not done with us. And so I want to just close our time by looking ahead briefly. You know, when we kind of consider this next year, we as an elder team have talked, we've prayed a lot, tried to figure out how to distill a wide variety of topics into just a few bullet points. I think I've got four for you. So here's the four things I want to invite you to look ahead to this year, 2016. The first one is this. It's just the shoring up of a great number of practical needs. You know, we are still a very young church. Uh, we inherited a nice sound system and a, a decent building, but don't let that fool you. We are a one-year-old church plant with four people on staff. And so there are many practical things that still need to be worked out, many practical things that we still want to put in place to love and serve the people. And the biggest one, the most uh, pressing one, as you know, is 
the fact that we have to find a new place to worship. We have about five months left in this building. I actually just got butterflies in my stomach as I said that. We have five months to find a new place to worship Jesus in together. That's just a practical need. That's not of ultimate importance. It's of practical importance. It would be helpful for us to have a place to meet and to worship Jesus because if we don't, it's gonna be one of your guys' house. So prepare. Will you be praying for that? Please be praying that God would help us find the right building. We thought maybe we were closing in on a good one. I'm not sure that it's gonna be a good fit for us after all, but uh, just keep praying. I think that God has the exact right thing for us. The second thing I believe that God's calling us to as a church is a level of deepening commitment. And I mean, ultimately, of course, I mean deepening commitment to Jesus, but, but I think there are some practical ways that that's lived out in the church. Let me, let me just say this with, to you with, with no guilt, no uh, heavy-handedness, but I wanna invite you to a place of deepening commitment. Some of you come on Sundays to the worship services, but, but you don't really participate in community or relationship at all. And maybe God's calling you to a deeper place of relational commitment. Maybe you come on Sunday and you go to a community group, but you don't contribute. You don't give financially. You don't uh, really serve on any of the teams. And God's asking you to contribute to the life of the church. Maybe you, you come to services, you go to a community group, you contribute, you give of your finances, but you're not actually a covenant member. You've never signed your name on the line that says, I want to place myself here under the authority of these leaders and as a committed member and a leader in this church. And maybe God's calling you to committed covenant membership. Here's the reason why I can say that without guilt or without heavy handedness, what we're calling you to, what I'm calling you to in a place of deeper commitment is what Jesus himself calls you to because I can find nowhere in this book where we are encouraged to keep the people of God at arm's length. Would you agree with that? And I would dare say underneath some of that, not for all of us, but underneath for some of us, maybe some cynicism. You know, we went through a, a rough patch together as a church and there are many people, understandably so, who, who have felt hurt by the church or maybe suspicious of the church. My hope and my prayer is that the Lord Jesus would put cynicism to death in the year 2016 for some of us that we would not seek to keep the church at arm's length, but we would seek to invest and to dive in. So where is God maybe calling you to a place of deepening commitment? The third one is this. I believe that God is calling us to a more robust plan of care, caring for the members of the church through things like benevolence and caring for people who are struggling through things like counseling or, or various small groups, caring for the people in our community groups that we might uh, uh, love one another better to care for one another. I think that this church is a pretty caring church, but you guys, we can always, always, always do much better. Would you agree? And the fourth thing, maybe the most challenging thing, the most difficult thing, but one that I, the, 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 the Lord just won't let off my heart is joyful evangelism. I believe that in the year 2016, God is calling us, and by us, I mean all of us who are Christians, to evangelize, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are people that you know and that I know who don't know about the cross. They don't know of the goodness of Jesus. They've not heard of this grace and this mercy that he's poured out on us. And it's time for us to follow the, the commandment of Jesus, to share the good news, to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. And I would say it's a challenge for us because we exist primarily in a suburban context and people in the suburbs like their space and they like their convenience, right? I like what Pastor Joe said, you know, nobody moves to the suburbs to change the world, right? People move to the suburbs to kind of just get comfortable. 
Listen, when we have the greatest news of all time, the greatest news in the, in the history of the world that God has loved us and forgiven us through his son, Jesus, how could we not wanna share that with others? And so I believe that God's calling each of us to have conversations with people to tell them about the good news of Jesus. I would invite you with these four points to include that this week in your time of fasting and prayer. Uh, we are going into a week of fasting and, and we're gonna conclude on Friday night with a break fast meal together and a time of prayer because we wanna seek the Lord to kick off this new year. We don't wanna just go on our own strategy and our own plans. We really wanna be led by God. Would you agree with that, church? And so I invite you to, to fast and to pray. If you need more information about fasting, we put up uh, a series of blog posts. Pastor Shane wrote uh, about, I think it was six blog posts. Uh, you can go on our website and read and plan and prepare and then join with us this week as we fast and as we pray. You guys, God, is his grace amazing or what? Is God's grace amazing or what? Is that encouraging to look back on this last year? And that's just, that's just the little stuff. The big idea is that God has saved us through his son, Jesus, that he's given us salvation, forgiveness of sins. And so it's in line with that that I wanna call us tonight to a time of response. And we're gonna respond in a variety of the ways. The first is through the giving of our tithes and offerings. And so I'd like to invite the financial stewards to come forward, if you would. As they're collecting the offering, I want to remind you, if you're a guest, you're under no obligation to give. But for those of you who are a part of this church, we'd encourage you to give with joy. Maybe this would be one of those ways that God would invite you to that deeper place of commitment to where you would just give of your finances. And while they're collecting the offering, let me just read some discussion questions and things to, to pray about this week. First is this. Why is it important for God's people to set up memorials of his work and goodness? Number two, share with your group ways that God has shown his goodness and grace in your life, individually or your family. You know, I get to kind of talk big picture about the, the church, but I know there are stories of, the way, of ways that God has been gracious to you and your family or for you uh, individually. Share those with your group. Number three, when you consider this past year for Sound City Bible Church, what are you most thankful for? And number four, when you consider this next year for Sound City, how is God calling you to love, to serve, and to help? And then a couple of things to pray about. Number one, thank God for his goodness to our church this past year. Ask God to raise up new leaders to help further his mission in this church and that pray that in 2016, God would use all of us to share the gospel with people who are not yet Christians. That's a dangerous prayer to pray. I'm inviting you to pray it. God, help me to share the gospel. We're gonna also respond through a celebration of the Lord's table where we remember this memorial meal, this symbolic meal of Jesus' body that was broken and his blood that was shed. And we're gonna celebrate that together with great joy. But before we do, I wanna invite us to a brief time of prayer together. Uh, remember we did this back in the fall with our Lord's Prayer series. I'm gonna invite us uh, here in just a moment to gather in groups of three or four and to just spend about two minutes together praying. You have to, get, you have to pray quick, but about two minutes praying together as a church family over these prayer points. If, if you don't uh, feel comfortable joining up, you're, you're not forced to. Nobody's gonna come around and force you to. But we would love to invite you to just gather up with somebody nearby and just spend a few minutes praying and thanking God for his grace. So I know a few of you look kind of terrified. I can see you, all right? Uh, a few of you look really excited. Michael, you look a little bit overly excited. So uh, he's gonna come find the most introverted person and make you pray with him. So I'm gonna count to three and then let's just do this. Let's spend just about two minutes gathering together in some small groups and praying. Can we do that, Sound City?
I was not as enthusiastic as I was hoping. Can we do that, Sound City? Can we pray together? All right, let's do that. Ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. Find someone and let's pray together.